Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department Podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is Jane Dyer, illustrator. Imagine being told by a publishing professional that your artwork has no business in publishing. Would you quit? Or, like Jane did, would you prove them wrong? Among other topics, we look back on the early days of Jane's decades-long career. We talk about why believing in oneself is a difficult, if not impossible, choice for many illustrators. And Jane tells us what it's like to lose serenity and what it takes to find it again. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Can I sip tea while I talk? You can do whatever heck you want. No, you can do. (laughs) Here we go. We are uh, super informal. It's um. I used to worry about that kind of thing, but uh, not so much anymore. And where are you um, sitting right now? Where are you up from? Uh, Where do you live? I am. Well, where I'm from is a different story. Um, I uh, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. <clears throat> but um, jumped around a little bit. I went to RISD, and mm-hmm. after RISD, moved to New York. And my girlfriend, now wife, um, had a 20-year life in New York. Uh, I worked in publishing for 20 years, um, which we will talk about. And okay. um, and then uh, about a year and change ago, after you know, through 20 years of living in New York, we had three, we happened to have three children, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and then we moved to, um, now we live a little bit outside of Philadelphia, which is closer to where we're both from. And uh, Okay, so I'm familiar with that area. What what town are you in? The, the closest known landmark is the Brandywine Museum of Art, and that is about 20 minutes away. I was there. I just had some work there about a year ago. Oh. Or maybe two, two years ago. I guess it was before COVID. Um, the curator from the Eric Carle Museum put together a... a an exhibit of um, Cinderella, and I had done a book with Nancy Willard on, mm-hmm. on uh, called Cinderella's Dress. So those pieces were in the show. Oh, fantastic! Well, heck, if that ever happens again—not if, when that happens again—please <laughs> um, let me know. Because, geez, would it be great to swing on by to the Brandywine and? It's a beautiful area. Oh, it's. I mean, I can't even. I, I try not to talk too much about it on the podcast because mm-hmm. I've talked about it ad nauseum and i think i'm making people sick of of me talking about how beautiful i mean i'm literally it really it very much feels like i'm driving through andrew wyeth paintings it just it's, oh absolutely it's yeah just i sometimes sometimes my wife and i just we're taking walks and we look at each other and we're like how do we live here you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's kind of amazing okay 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 you were born on march 7th 1949 yes You were, in your words, a shy kid who enjoyed drawing, but you didn't think of yourself as an artist. When did you start thinking of yourself as an artist? You know, I I always liked um, I always liked picture books and the drawings in them. And when I when I started school, the first thing I wanted to be was a kindergarten teacher mm-hmm. because my kindergarten teacher um, 
put drawings up and we, we had to draw them. So I, I loved doing that. And I became a kindergarten teacher many years later. And then my kindergarten students' parents started telling me that I should be a children's book illustrator. I think because I had really good bulletin boards. But uh, <laughs> um, So I started pursuing that and trying to get a portfolio together. And, you know, I still didn't believe that I was an artist. Do you Even now? I do now. I've okay. worked very hard at it. I, I do now. As of yesterday, um, you decided yesterday afternoon, you know what? <laughs> I am an artist. No, I... It, it came slowly, but um, after years of working, and, um, and I think some of your questions will get to that. So I'll stop with that, and we'll, get, we'll return. <laughs> we'll revisit you it. You are correct, madam. Um, before we get to that, though, you studied fine arts and early education in college. I couldn't find what school you went to. So what school did you go to? It's a very small school called Cedar Crest College in mm -hmm. Allentown, Pennsylvania. Mm. And it's a small um, women's college. Okay. And at the time, it was the sister school to Lehigh and Lafayette before they went co-ed. So, um, but it, because it was a small school, I took a number of art classes and just loved it. I would just stay there and paint until they closed the building at two o'clock in the morning. Um, but still, I wanted to be a kindergarten teacher, but I, I kept painting and drawing. And one day, my professor for a drawing class, um, when we put our work up for a critique, mm -hmm. just turned around and said, damn, that's good. And that was the beginning of some self-confidence. And I mm. think because it was a small school, it enabled me to um, maybe be a big fish in a, in a little pond, but mm. um, not too big. But um, it, it gave me confidence. So you got you. So you became a kindergarten teacher. And, yes. and um, I mean, what were the parents saying? I mean, were they walking into your classrooms and seeing all this beautiful art on the walls going like, what the heck? I mean, what, I mean, what, what were they, were they or, or were they just saying to you? Wow, you you're a really great artist. Well, they many of them commented that I should illustrate children's books. Mm. And so at the time as I, I started putting up trying to put a portfolio together, but never thinking I really could do it. I thought I would love to do that. It wasn't even a a thought when I was growing up. I mean when in the fifties and sixties you became a a teacher or a nurse, basically. Um, mm -hmm. That was—I mean, other people did other things, but the the um, ambition of being a children's book illustrator was was not in any of my thoughts. Um, so I started gradually thinking maybe I could do this, mm -hmm. and um, then after I married, we um, we moved to Gladwin. Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. which I think is in your area, mm -hmm. we found a place to live rent free, and I was their maid. And I'm not a very good cleaner, so um, <laughs> but it gave me time to work on my portfolio. Wow. And my husband was on the waiting list for Harvard for the Graduate School of Design. So the following year, we moved to Cambridge, mm -hmm. 
and my story will continue um, after you ask a few more questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a guest uh, pause on a story and then prompt me to ask more questions, but um, I'm digging this. So, okay. okay. So then you, all right, so you have your, so these parents are telling you you should get into children's books and, and, yes. and stuff. You know, I think most illustrators, most artists have had somebody say to them, wow, you're great. You should, and then plug in something mm -hmm. that like is beyond what that artist either, either wants to do or knows like that's not ever going to happen for me. Um, you know, what, for I'll just as a personal example, um, I can paint a little with oils, and I've had folks who, you know, are are um, how do you put this kindly? Don't aren't in the biz, and you know they'll they'll see the portrait or, or landscape or something and say, "Wow, you should really exhibit in galleries." Mm -hmm. My initial reaction to that is, "Well, you don't know anything about that because." that there's no way a gallery is going to want to represent my work. You know what I mean? So like, there's clearly a mm -hmm. lack of belief that, you know, I, I could even, even that it's not even a possibility. Mm -hmm. And I talk to a lot of illustrators who feel similarly about their own, their own work about their portfolios or what they're writing. Some other folks outside forces are saying to them are encouraging them. Maybe. And even me, I'm saying, saying to them, Believe me, trust me, I've seen plenty of portfolios in my lifetime. You're good. Mm -hmm. To which they inevitably answer, no, I'm not. Well, I don't think I am. <laughs> I don't believe I don't believe that I am. So when these parents were telling you, wow, you're good, at what point did you start believing them? Or did you already did you just automatically, was that just a natural reaction? Like, you know what, I am good. Shit. No, I never would think I am good shit to <laughs> <laughs> Um but I, I asked one of the parents when I was um, leaving to move to Pennsylvania, should I, I feel like I don't want to teach anymore. I would like to pursue this idea of children's books. Mm -hmm. And she just said, go for it. I mean, she was a little older than I was, and I trusted her. So um, when I was in first in Pennsylvania, I went to a, a sh little shop on the main line and asked if I could do ads for them. Um, so they had these little um, creepy mice. I think they were made out of rabbit fur or something, and they dressed them like for like mm -hmm. a little bride or or you know a fireman or something. But I did ads that then I drew them in pen and ink, and they were in um, various magazines mm -hmm. then. And I put up a little portfolio together. It was very little. And then we moved to Cambridge, and I was looking for jobs, and I happened to see one for a company called Boston Educational Research. Mm -hmm. And when I was teaching, I had used a program that they had developed, and and I loved it. And I it was um, developed by Pleasant T. Rowland, who eventually went on to become the, the um, founder of the American Girls Company, mm. which did dolls and books sure. together. Okay, everybody knows that. Yeah. So um, she hadn't done that yet, but everything she does sort of turns to gold. And she was doing reading programs K through three for other companies. 
And so I brought my portfolio in and met her and um, just couldn't. She was, you know, a star to me. And she said, we're not to the point of illustrating our books yet. We're just developing them. Mm -hmm. But she said, we're looking for somebody to write teacher's guides and specifically the creative follow-up activities. And I thought, I can do that uh, because from my teaching experience. So I did that and my husband was in school at Harvard and we had um, our drawing tables formed an L and he worked on his things and uh, I was asked to illustrate these teacher's guides. So Mm -hmm. at night I would bring that, I would write during the day and go to work in Boston. And at night I would bring the work home and illustrate with just little simple black line drawings, Mm -hmm. um, these teacher's guides. But at the time, the kindergarten program was being illustrated by um, the best illustrators from around the world. And there was an art room and I got to see these illustrations come in and how they were presented, mm. which I had no idea how to even submit a children's book illustration. So I got to see that. And at the time, there were also in-house um, illustrators who um, colored. They would get the, the backline drawings and color them in. And when they were late with the deadline, they'd call me down to the art room to color. (laughs) And that was just a dream come true. So um, then to fast forward, I had my first child in 1977. And I left and we moved back to Pennsylvania. And I still continue to work on teacher's guides and started doing it for other companies too. But at one point, Somebody either didn't submit or missed a deadline for a one-page poem in a third-grade reading book, Mm -hmm. and they asked me to do that. And so my daughter was four months old, and I pulled up the playpen, and I said, we hit the big time, and I did this one page, and that became a piece in my portfolio then, and I started then going to these educational publishers and showing my work, and I started illustrating for other K through three reading series. Gotcha. And what I what I discovered was that uh, there were many illustrators of children's books that started this way. Um, Chuck Mikulajek, I don't know if you know him, mm-hmm. but also at the time they had a meeting. Houghton Mifflin, who I didn't even work for, had a meeting and brought in illustrators and said, what can we do to help you? Um, I, you know, I, I didn't even quite understand it, but to um, sort of push our careers ahead. And in that meeting was Mark Brown, who went on to do Arthur. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did a number of, of work for textbooks. And then we moved to... West, the western part of Massachusetts, where mm-hmm. I met Jane Yolen, mm-hmm. who was a prolific writer, sure. and she told me I should go to New York. She gave me a list of editors that I and companies I should go to, different mm-hmm. publishers, and there were seven on the list. And I, I went in. I went in also. There was a show of original art 
um, that still goes on. And I wanted to see that. So I, the first day I went to the first four publishers Mm -hmm. and the first four all rejected me. So, Mm -hmm. um, then I went the second day, I went to three more Mm -hmm. who rejected me, (laughs) but one of them said, I think rather than trade books, you might be better suited for mass market books, which Mm -hmm. were like the board books. Mm -hmm. And so she suggested that I go to Grasset and Dunlap. Mm -hmm. I I think maybe this would Putnam's and they were a part of it. Mm -hmm. So I had the choice of going to my last appointment or going to the original art show. I just said, okay, I'll try one more time. And to backtrack just a little bit, on this two-day trip to New York, I had my wallet stolen, and it snowed, and I got snow in my portfolio, and some art editors didn't show up. So at one point, I just started crying, and uh. the receptionist said, I'll look at your work, honey. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I just thought, why don't I just go home to my family who loves me? <laughs> but I, I went to one more appointment, uh, and... Um they were looking for someone to illustrate a board book of Goldilocks and Three Bears. Mm -hmm. And I just happened to have an illustration in my portfolio of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And the reason I had that was I had gone to a conference at University of Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and it was a children's literature conference, and I paid $25 extra to see an art director from Houghton Mifflin in Boston. Mm -hmm. And at that time, $25 was a lot for us. Mm -hmm. And I showed her my portfolio, which was mostly textbook work, K through three, but um, that's what I had in my portfolio. And she told me my work wasn't suited for children's books. So I thought, well, it's, I'm not showing what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. So I went home and spent the next month doing an example of Goldilocks and the Three Bears mm-hmm. because my favorite thing is working with children or characters and dressed animals because when I was little, I always dressed up my animals because mm-hmm. I thought they should be dressed. So mm-hmm. that was always in my mind. So that was a long story to tell you that Goldilocks and the Three Bears was in my portfolio and they happened to be looking for an illustrator. So that was my first book that came out in 1984, and I have been booked ever since. Yep. Well, a few questions. So uh, when when that person said that your work wasn't suitable for children's books, what did you say? What did you do? I mean... Did you I, did you sock him I, one or did you? I mean, I'm just a quiet person, and mm-hmm. I'm sure I didn't say anything. But I did go home. I realized it wasn't the work that I wanted to do. It was the work I had been paid for, right. um, and it was my foot in the door. But I thought, let me show what I want to do. Years later, I worked with her on a book. And she, <laughs> horrified <laughs> wait she was horrified about what she had said prior or was she horrified that you were the illustrator that that she was working with me and she had told me that my work wasn't suitable for children's books. oh so she, she was very bad about it she felt badly about it okay yeah wow um interestingly as a weird side note of coincidence i worked 
as the art director for Grosset and Dunlap. Not when, not in the early 80s. In the early 80s, I was, yeah, yeah, I was seven watching Return of the Jedi (laughs) in my basement. Um, Oh, don't rub it in. (laughs) I'm sorry. Your first child was born in 77. I was born in 77. Um, But yeah, I mean, I was the art director for Grosset and Dunlap. And what I really, I really love that, um, that responsibility uh-huh. Because they published, I mean, for folks who don't know Grass and Dunlap, I mean, they published Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, Bobsy Twins, mm-hmm. Tom Swift. Um, when I worked there, the biggest moneymaker by far was the Who Was series, this nonfiction historical series, chapter book series for kids, mm-hmm. um, which later the, which later became a Netflix show oh. that I was tasked with designing the logo for the show. It remains one of my career highlights. I mean, sitting in my living room a few years ago, putting on Netflix, and there's this the Netflix, um, whatever it's called, the like what you uh, I can't remember the, the the image that you see before you hit play, um, the title card, I guess what's called. Oh. Um, there's the logo. How wonderful! You so you're illustrating Goldilocks. This is 1984. Mm-hmm. What I found interesting was that you were 35, if my math is right. Your math is probably better than mine. Yes, I think I, I do tell people I, I got my first book when I was 35. You are correct. So here's so here are a few points that I find I think are worth uh, highlighting, underscoring. And that is, one, you started your children's book career, or at least it like really kind of picked up steam in your mid-30s. Right. Two, you took your portfolio around with some work that you were hired to do, but it ultimately was the self-initiated project that got you going. So create self-initiated projects Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is one lesson. Doesn't matter how old you are is another lesson. And the third lesson isn't what you said, but what Emily McCulley said in a previous episode, that she took her portfolio around. This is the 60s, maybe 70s, and showed her portfolio once a month to art directors. What illustrators did 50 years ago to get their careers going, those steps remain to this day. Mm-hmm. It's yes. not, you know what I mean? So there isn't a lot of like reinventing of the wheel here when it comes to like, well, how do I get, how do I get my career going? It's the same. Mm-hmm. The tools are slightly different. Now there's the internet and things like that, but it's basically the same. The other thing I discovered is that when I went to an art director, often they would give me a little task. Well, I like this character. Could you develop this? Or could we see more examples in color? Mm -hmm. And rather than pulling something out of a portfolio, which wasn't there, I would stay up all night and do whatever they said. I, I thought it was... It felt like the first thing they wanted to do was sort of get rid of me. Um, but then they gave me certain tasks, mm. and I did them, and I followed through. And I thought, you're not going to get rid of me this easy. So um, so I would do that along the way. Mm-hmm. And um, the other piece of advice is that my work was certainly not better than a, a lot of my illustrative friends who were trying to get work and, and not getting it. The difference was I met the deadlines. And some artists think to be an artist, you have to be flaky and I can't work with a deadline. Mm -hmm. But publishers have to work with deadlines. So 
no matter what, I met my deadline. And mm-hmm. sometimes I would have the FedEx man drive around the block because the paint was still wet. So, <laughs> but I met my deadlines. Did you ever end up making it to the Society of Illustrators show? I did. I did. The very next year, Goldilocks was in the show. It was in the show. Yes. And then they asked me to do Little Red Riding Hood. So I did that. Um, and it was in the show the next year. And um, I made little red woolen um, capes for my girls who were little, but still embarrassed to wear them um, <laughs> <laughs> when we went in. And uh, my work was in every year from the beginning until I did Time for Bed, which is my best-selling book. It sold over a million copies. And that was the year they chose not to choose them. But they were then later on, I had work in it again. Amazing. What does it feel like? to have a book that sold 1 million copies. I mean, do you do you reflect on any of that or do, or do you just kind of not try try not to think about it too much? I, I you know, I I didn't even I don't keep track of those things and at some point somebody told me that it had sold over a million copies. Um, you know, it makes deep down inside it makes me very proud and um you know, I don't dwell on it too much, but I do have to say the day I went to the FedEx building to mail the, the paintings in for Time for Bed, when I came out, there was a rainbow over the building. Mm. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a little sign. Yeah. Um, as you were sort of working your way through publishing in the 80s and, it, you know, um, those first years, who were you hanging out with? Other than Barry Moser, because he's a son of a gun. I don't need to talk about Barry Moser. Oh, I was hanging out with um, Barry Moser, who I love dearly. Um, Jane Yolen, Patty McLaughlin, Catherine Brown, Ruth Sanderson. There's, mm. there's a, Lauren Mills, Dennis Nolan. There's a number of illustrators in this area. Sure. Um, and so we had an illustrator's group and mm-hmm. it's still going i don't go anymore but but those were my friends and there were there would be conferences at umass uh, always the children's literature conference and people would come to my house afterwards like ashley bryan and you know i thought mm-hmm. do my girls understand what you know we're thinking back do my girls understand this but they were they were just um mm-hmm. They were just friends. Barry used to um, hang out so much we would go pick up my girls from school, and somebody said, "Is that your father?" <laughs> he was always around. I had I had Ashley Bryan on the podcast, and that is oh, you know I, I love every he's, episode. He's so wonderful. Oh my gosh, that was a great episode, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm going to put it in the show notes for for folks if want if they want to listen, but. I, I tried it. It was very difficult for me to stay professional and be like, okay, mm-hmm. well, here's the next question. Because I, mm-hmm. I, the entire time in, internally, I was like, holy crap, I can't believe I'm having this conversation with this guy. It's just amazing. The one thing Ashley said in a, con- in a talk that I heard of his was that um, things have changed in the publishing industry. And if you see a book you like, you should pick it up because it won't be on the shelf long. And he said when he started, books would stay out for years and years and some would become a classic. Mm-hmm. But books aren't really given the chance now. There's just a lot of turnover. Well, yeah, there is. Um, since the 80s then, what else have you seen with respect to the publishing 
comings and goings, you know, the, the you know, publishing changes and adjusts and moves and has has grown clearly. Um, what would what would be one big difference that you've seen outside of the internet um, between seen, then and now? Yeah, well, obviously the internet is number one. What I've seen is that publishers want a book that will sell at least, I don't know what the number is, 50,000, 100,000 mm -hmm. copies. Um, and it's, I think it's more difficult for new illustrators to get started. That's, that's my take on it. Um, right. um, certainly there are lots of new illustrators, but I think it is more difficult. So then what does a new illustrator do about that? Or is there anything they can do about it? Persevere. Just just keep trying, keep working. On, I, I mean, if, if somebody does tell you that they like, you know, this is what they like in their in your portfolio, work on that. Do what I said is just make it an assignment and, mm. and don't go away. I think that's the best advice I could give. And also just keep daydreaming about that, that it might come true. Yeah. You know, when I think about your work, the word timeless comes to mind. I was oh, talking you. to, it's true. I was talking to an illustrator recently who felt that her traditional approach to illustration wasn't what publishers want. Right. It's obviously not the case. I mean, I, I think it goes back to believing in yourself, like believing in what it is that you are doing. Like, is it worth your time to do the thing you actually want to do? And that is a real trick of a problem to solve for a lot of folks, um, particularly illustrators. But um, my feeling is that if the work is of a certain quality, the style doesn't matter. So there's there's always room for good work. I firmly believe that to be the case. Over the course of your career, you've seen publishing tastes, like you know the way books look, come and go. Mm -hmm. Was that ever a concern for you? It has become more of a concern lately. But I there's more. I do watercolors. There's more work in gouache, and it's it's a stylized um, approach. And I, I, I wouldn't be true to myself if I tried to change and, and, and do that. Mm -hmm. I, I, did, uh, I did a little change recently, and I, I started doing working in three-dimensional um, work, and I, I was needle-felting little characters and had Jeannie Birdsall, who wrote her first book when she was 50, and got the National Book Award for it. But mm -hmm. she's the Penderwicks. But she's also a photographer. So she, um, we posed these characters and we had so much fun. But apparently they really want my watercolors. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I loved doing these. Um, the first, I did two needle felted book, needle felted characters um, in the books. And the first one was Roly Poly, which is a polar bear. And when Mem Fox and I did Time for Bed in 1992, um, I put a bear on the 
a polar bear on the title page because mm -hmm. there were no bears in the book and I like painting bears and <laughs> Barry Moser's nickname was Bear mm -hmm. so I dedicated it to him and I put a bear on that one page mm -hmm. and Mem said we have to do a book about polar bears and then um, I think it was I think it was 27 years later, I'm not sure, but a few years ago, she wrote a book about a polar bear. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be fun to just um, make the characters and set up the scenes. Mm -hmm. And it really was great fun. And then I did another book that Jeannie Birdsall actually wrote mm -hmm. um, about trelves, tree elves. Mm -hmm. But after doing over 60 books, I am... Now, um, this is the first time since the very beginning I have to submit some paintings for a book I'm, I'm proposing. And um, it's very different. Um, I work every day on this, and right. my husband says, it's not called work if you're not getting paid for it. <laughs> but hopefully I will. But I, I'm well. doing sample paintings. With all due respect to your husband, uh, I disagree with that. I think the boatload of work that's done, regardless of whether or not someone's paying you. Um, interesting. A publisher is asking you, hey, do you mind doing a sample painting for this book? We're not quite sure. Well, that actually, my agent is saying that I should do that. Um, and Why? I think because... I I got away from my paintings and that's what they want. But, um, and I actually love working in um, three-dimensional. I've done okay. some clay and, and um, I love it because it surprises me. When I paint and draw, I do weeks of research and practice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, some people say, oh, you have such a gift. Well, that gift doesn't come for free. You know, it just... Um, mm -hmm. I work very, very hard, and mm -hmm. what I have changed as I've grown older is when I was starting, I, for years, I would work till two or three in the morning, mm -hmm. and then get up with my children at six thirty. Oh, and um, and uh, I just, I I reached a a point, and I got my work done. Um, mm -hmm. But I've reached a point in 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 my 60s and 70s that I'm just I'm I'm just doing you know a, a, a more comfortable work schedule mm -hmm. and um, I realize there's hours at night that I can do something else it's just very exciting <laughs> <laughs> do you wish that maybe like could you go back in time and talk to your younger self and say hey actually don't paint till two in the morning you know try to find a more balanced work you know, life I, you know thing i do think that and you know i i my children were often by my side in the studio and i i would take time in the afternoon to you know pick them up from school and take them to their lessons or soccer games and do all of that and then go back to work mm -hmm. and my oldest daughter has three children and she does teach art two days a week to pay for tuition for one of her children. But she loves just being a mother and just hanging out with them. Mm -hmm. And there certainly would have been a part of me that um, 
would have liked to do that. As I said, I, I don't think they suffered, but, um, but I did, I, I, I think I would have said, you know, just ha- trust in yourself that mm-hmm. the career will happen. Um, you can slow down and, um, people take one year or years to do books. There was one year when I did five books, and that was crazy. But um, <laughs> I felt like if somebody asked me to do it, I, w- I was obligated. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, and, and I could have said, um, "Can you?" I, I did learn eventually to move deadlines and give myself a little more time. Yeah. and that's been a gift of time sure. that I've realized. So, I'm not sure how to quite transition to this so i'm just going to go right to it on july 26th 2012 a bizarre and terrifying event occurred a 14 year old boy entered your home in cummington massachusetts and attacked you with a freaking shovel you said to him you're yelling at him as he was hitting you you'll be in a lot more trouble if you don't stop now he then left well, I um, said I'm a I'm a grandmother. Yeah. And um you know, I just I I was lying on the floor thinking I have to fight for my life here. And um other people have said they they would have just yelled at, you know, at him like angrily and I just I calmly try I mean it's it's just it's not in my nature to be excitable. I'm just sort of a calm person. And I just said, um, I said he would be in a lot more trouble if he kept on. And I, I said, he, you know, he, he could just leave then. And I, and I said, I'm a grandmother mm-hmm. and, um, and I want to see my grandchildren again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, was a motive ever discovered or given? He was, he was, the, I live in Northampton, but this, we have a summer home in what it's called the hill towns, mm-hmm. um, the foothills of the Berkshires. Uh, and one family took in high-risk foster children. Mm-hmm. And he he was, I guess he was in a little bit of trouble, and he thought somebody from the agency was coming to look for him. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he, th- and he was hiding out in our house since we, we didn't live there full time. And I sure. was just going to check on things because we were going on vacation, so I had to check on a couple things. And um, I guess I think he had been hiding out in the house, and he thought I was somebody from um, whatever the agency oh, okay. is. How do you recover mentally from an ordeal like that? I, at the time, had a wonderful therapist who did what I believe is called EMDR. It's eye movement um, therapy, they realized that by, oh, I don't even remember, but associating other things with um, eye movement, they could, Mm -hmm. I I don't know the details, but it did work. I I sat with her and she asked me how this impacted me. And I just said, I lost my sense of serenity. And, um, and she worked with me, and uh, I never, I never cried in therapy. I wasn't that kind of person, but mm-hmm. I cried, mm-hmm. and you know, it had been a recurring nightmare every time I closed my eyes. But, um, but I recovered, and you know, my family was around me, and mm-hmm. I, I wasn't hurt badly. I just, you know, lots of 
lots of um, bruises and cuts, um, but but fortunately, I you know it could have been so much worse. So I think you know in a way it gave me. Um, uh, this is a cliche, but an, uh, a new perspective and appreciation mm-hmm. of my life and and my girls and my family and my grandchildren and my husband, so yep. and my friends. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't dwell on it. Yeah, I I um, I know how you feel. I wasn't physically attacked. Um, it wasn't uh, anything like that, but I definitely uh, occur uh, experienced a traumatic event that that's a great way of putting it cost me my serenity and my mm-hmm. ability to feel joy. And, uh, it's not a great feeling when you're, you wake up in the morning and you are convinced 100% that you are, you are forever severed from an ability to even experience joy or even know what it is or mm-hmm. feel serene or feel mm-hmm. at peace Mm-hmm. Um, or any of that stuff. And it, and for me, it took a few years, uh, therapy and family support, friends. Um, I had a pair of friends who for a while would say they, they, they both had family. They both had things to do. And they said, every single Wednesday, you will meet us in Manhattan and we will buy you a drink oh. or 10. <laughs> oh. And, <laughs> and, um, in, and for a few months, that was the only thing that I had look to look forward to you know mm-hmm. and, and um i've talked about this on the podcast before but to, to just to this point what you're saying you know it, it took a minute and um and over time every now and then i'd feel like a little bit of joy and go you know but feeling like oh well it's fleeting it'll go back it'll go away and i'll go back to normal which was mm-hmm. not feeling joy and then mm-hmm. And then if, again, more time goes by, you blank, and next thing you know, mm-hmm. you're feeling more joy than you're not, and it, and mm-hmm. then it becomes further and further. It could be that, that that event gets smaller and smaller, never kind of goes away for me, anyways. Um, um, but it has definitely given me a new set of eyeballs. I mean, it it, it just it's it's hard to explain, but I mm-hmm. I so much more appreciate everything now. Like right. everything. It just a blue jay. This is a true story. Blue mm-hmm. jay perching on a bird feeder outside of her house in the backyard, just staring at it and appreciating how beautiful it is. I mean, it sounds hokey, but it's true. Right. I mean, before I'd be like, oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. But now you just look at it and going like, wow, there's there's some there's some fantastic. There's a lot of there's a lot to be joyful about mm-hmm. and feel serene serenity from. And um, anyway, so that's what I'm now working on is just appreciating it and actively um, giving myself like a moment to just sit with it. And um, it's, it's made all the difference. Right. It, I, with the help of my therapist, I got over it um, fairly quickly and, you know, it, it, I think of it from time to time, but not very often. We yeah. don't, um, well, and, and I'm, I'm just... Italian. Italians okay. do well. <laughs> uh, you know, if I wasn't Italian, it probably would have taken me a few months to take to, but it uh-huh. took longer because Italians, we don't forget stuff, you know, mm-hmm. anyway. Um, well, I, I am so thankful that you're here and uh, able to talk to me and to, and to continue to do what you do. It's just really a tremendous gift to children's publishing. Oh, thank um, you. Let's remember that there are definitely some folks listening in on this, uh, most mm-hmm. of whom are creative in some way, shape, or form. 
what would be one last thing that you want to leave them with or one piece of advice or just anything that you'd like to share with them directly? Well, one quote that that I, I often um, repeat from Maurice Sendak, um, he said that illustration is like a big soup and the soup's ingredients are things from your childhood, things from your memories. And if you don't make it your own, it's just swipe soup. And everybody knows what that tastes like. And I often look at other illustrators' work, often from the past, Maxwell Parrish or Jesse Wilcox Smith, or, um, mm-hmm. uh, Mon and Miska Peterson. But um, my my most favorite editor, Maria, oh, I love them all, but the one I've worked with most um, longest is Maria Madunio. And um, she always talks about Jane diarisms. So in, that tells me I've made things my own, even though I've, I've borrowed a little bit from others. And then, as I said earlier, to persevere, don't, don't, um, don't be discouraged too quickly. Keep trying and keep trying to take your work to the next level. To learn more about Jane, visit janedyerchildrensbooks.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends, subscribe to the podcast, and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting patreon.com slash illustration D-E-P-T. In return, you will receive our salt enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling Extra Credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop, and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.